0: Hello and welcome to another Veterinary Team Training Podcast. My name is Amy Newfield and I'm both the host and owner of Vet Team Training. Please check out all my other blogs, vlogs, and podcasts at vetteamtraining.com. Today I want to dive into a topic that I knew was going to be a hot button topic, but then nationwide a particular incident occurred in an emergency hospital in Maine and I didn't realize how timely it was going to be. When I create my podcast, I often just come up with an idea or a concept. It's something that really interests me or I feel like needs to change in the profession. I then do some research behind it. I go ahead and start mapping out an outline of what it's going to look like so I have some idea of what I'm going to talk about when I start this podcast journey. I then blab into a microphone and record the podcast, do some mild editing, and send it out to all of you. That's the extent of sort of the podcast journey where I take it from a concept and release it. For this particular podcast though, it just happens to come about two weeks after a major nationwide news event in which if you are any part of social media, it doesn't even matter which platform that you subscribe to, You probably have heard about it. It's regarding a main emergency hospital in which unfortunately an owner was unable to pay for emergency surgery that was needed in order to save a German Shepherd puppy's life. And unfortunately, it took a really long time for the veterinary staff to get a hold of this person. When they did get a hold of this person, they just didn't have the financial means to actually do the surgery. So the hospital offered up surrendering. Almost all of us worldwide understand the premise behind surrendering. This is where the veterinary team offers surrender as an option to the owner so that we can save the pet's life. The owner releases the pet knowing full well that they'll never know or have any contact with that pet in the future. They've given away their pet essentially, given away that animal to the veterinary clinic so that the veterinary clinic can go ahead and find someone to assume financial responsibility for that animal and eventually they will adopt that animal to somebody else. This is, in short, a very common practice done by veterinary hospitals in an effort to save pet lives. It's that simple, right? We see an animal in need. We know that it can be fixed. Unfortunately, it costs a lot of money in order to fix that animal. It broke its leg. It ate a foreign body. There's a disease process that can be completely corrected and the animal can go on to live a normal, healthy life if only the owner had the financial means to do so. So rather than put euthanasia on the table as an option, the veterinary staff saves a pet life by simply surrendering, having the owner surrender a pet so that they can put the care of the pet into the hands of someone who can financially afford that animal. That's a short version of what surrendering is. I personally wanted to dive into this topic because my view of offering surrender to a pet owner has changed dramatically. It was something that I frequently did in the first decade of my career. Honestly, I was the person who would go to the veterinarian and say, Can we offer surrender? Should we have this owner surrender their pet? Let's save this animal's life rather than even consider euthanasia. Can we just put surrendering on the table? And so I was that person. I was a huge advocate of it. But in the last 15 years of my career, I have to tell you, I really am looking at things quite differently, which is a thought process I would never have had as a younger version of myself. Let me pause here because the story that has come out of Maine is really a hot button topic and I've had to go back and obviously re-record some parts of this podcast. It would not have been right if for me to one, acknowledge the nationwide story coming out of Maine, and also to put some parts of it into this podcast. It was pretty much already done. I had recorded it about two weeks prior, and obviously with the news coming out of Maine, I've had to rework some parts of this. So let me be very clear. There are two things that are happening with the story that has come out of Maine. One is a pet owner who financially could not afford the emergency care that their puppy needed in order to save its life. That's number one. And it's the art of surrendering, the process of having a pet owner surrender to a hospital. That is process number one that's happening. The other process that's happening is generalized bullying and hatred that is coming down unbelievably so from every aspect of the globe onto this veterinary hospital. Let me make myself very clear. I 100% support this veterinary hospital, and any veterinary hospital that has to go through the shitstorm of bullying and the crap that they have had to undertake. The death threats, people driving by employees' homes, people sending them hate mail, people threatening to blow up their building. And this is just one veterinary hospital when unfortunately, whenever a news media story like this happens, where there's a perceived, this vet clinic did something wrong uh, to an animal or to an owner or, oh, vet clinic's in it for the money type of situation. Unfortunately, those vet clinics bear the brunt of the bullying and the hatred. And this adds, unfortunately, to the stress The depression, the mental fatigue, the exhaustion that we're all experiencing in the veterinary world. There is no room in the world for this type of hate. We need to stop it and I cannot be clear enough about it. The shit that this hospital has to experience, bless them. They did not deserve any of this. They didn't deserve it. Whether or not we dive now into should surrendering be offered or not, what has happened to this vet clinic? It is not deserved. I 100% stand by this this team, this hospital, and I support them wholeheartedly. And the people who have threatened this hospital, the people who knew nothing about this story, who should keep their GD nose out of the entire thing, <laughs> there's a special spot for them in hell. That's what I have to say. We just do not need the hatred on the level that this hospital has experienced it. So if you're part of that hospital, I'm truly sorry. This did, You guys did not deserve this. Um, all of that aside... I thought long and hard should I wait to release this podcast because it is in the hot button topic stage still and I'm going to release it and I am very nervous about it because I don't want it to be misconstrued that I'm all pro-owner and that I'm not pro this hospital. I'm very much pro this hospital, but when I started down this podcast road, this entire story wasn't part of the news media, and I still very much believe that it's of interest, and so that's why I'm gonna go ahead and release it. So let's pretend like the news media story may never happened. Let's pretend that the pet owner who was asked to surrender their pet never made national news, and let's just talk about the process of surrendering in general. Do we think that veterinary hospitals should continue to offer surrender as an option for pet owners that are struggling to pay financially for their pets. Do we think that if we have an animal that has a savable condition, something that we know we go to surgery or provide medical care, that pet will go on to live a healthy, happy life, do we think we should offer surrender as an option to pet owners who are struggling financially, if the other option to that is potentially euthanasia. So that's the focus of this podcast. Not saying that we shouldn't talk about the bullying, but that's an entire separate podcast that I'll probably jump on at some point. Just the bullying of veterinarians in general, veterinary technicians and nurses and front desk and all of that by the general public. Definitely we'll do that in a separate podcast. But for this podcast, and the whole reason I started this months ago was, do we really want to offer surrender as an option? Let's dive into just homeless animal statistics. According to the ASPCA last year alone, uh, there's approximately 6.3 million companion animals who enter our shelters nationwide every single year. Of that broken down, 3.1 of them are dogs and 3.2 million are cats. That's extraordinarily high, and unfortunately, about a million animals are euthanized every year. The statistic technically is 920,000, but to me, that's almost a million animals that are euthanized every single year. Of the 6.3 million companion animals who enter shelters, about 4.1 million are actually adopted out. And so that's about 65% that are adopted for dogs and about 66% that are adopted for cats approximately 13% of dogs are euthanized that enter shelters and approximately 17% of cats are euthanized that enter shelters. We also can't ignore that about 810,000 animals who enter shelters as strays are actually returned to their owners, which is amazing. Dogs are the lucky winners in that statistic. 710,000 of those dogs actually get to go home to their owners. Approximately only 100,000 cats ever find their actual owners. So shelters do amazing work. But just talking about the statistics, has you recognize what a crisis we have on companion animals? So when we're met with an animal in our veterinary hospital that could be saved and live a normal, long, healthy life, it feels good. It sits well on our moral complex to be able to offer the owner a surrender as an option, because after all, they can't afford the veterinary care, we can go ahead and provide that animal care, adopt it out, and it can live a normal, healthy life. So let's dive into that process. I love data, and I tried really hard to find any sort of statistics or data on the percent of veterinary hospitals that utilize surrender as an option for individuals who cannot afford veterinary care. I found nothing. I then dove down the path of what happens if you can't afford veterinary care. And there's actually a lot of articles out there and it's interesting because a high percentage of them actually suggest surrendering your pet to a veterinary hospital. Here's a quote actually out of one of these articles. It says, if all these options don't work, you might have to surrender ownership of your pet. You can take it to a veterinary hospital rescue or shelter who can afford the medical expenses use this option as a last resort and i thought these articles were very interesting because at what point did veterinary hospitals become a place that pet owners relied upon for surrendering their ownership of their pet when did we become the place that you could just go and leave your animal I actually posted a question on my Facebook page about this surrender process, and it was interesting because a few people wrote underneath it that many years ago, like two decades ago, it was actually very common for owners to just walk in and surrender their pet to their veterinary hospital. Now. Now, I have to be honest and say, I've never worked in a veterinary hospital where this was the case. It was not a normal practice for owners to just come in, say, I don't want this animal anymore and leave it at the veterinary hospital. But I also understand this is a common older veterinary hospital practice that some of you still might be experiencing in 2022. And so respectfully, if this is the norm for you, then obviously this was a little bit eye-opening for me that this was even a thing. I didn't see anyone saying that it was common in their veterinary hospital now, but I did have a couple people write years ago it was a very common practice. So maybe this is where these articles get the idea that veterinary hospitals are an option for surrendering the pet. I'd like to think that we've educated people that we provide medicine, we're not a shelter, we're not a boarding facility, and we probably shouldn't be doing those things. But what about that animal that needs care? The owner can't afford it and we can literally save its life if only we had the money to do so. Let's talk about that. Again, as I previously mentioned, I have a lot of experience with surrendering pets. In fact, it was something that I would walk up to the owner and actually ask them to do, and I cringe at that. So right there tells you that I've already reshaped my own mindset on this policy, and here's why. So many years ago, I believed that pet owners who couldn't afford pets, they shouldn't have them. They should be able to budget appropriately. How dare they not be able to afford it? Look at what car they're driving. And I would place a lot of judgment on them. And it wasn't until a decade into this practice that I actually was asking a mom to surrender over a kitten who had a foreign body. It was definitely a foreign body. It looked very linear. The bunching of the GI tract, you could see it on x-ray. The kitten was vomiting, dehydrated, painful belly. It needed surgery. She didn't have it. She was a single mom. There were two young kids with her. She told me she had just gotten a divorce and the kitten was something to make the kids happy because she had done a lot of crying. And she now had sole custody of the kids and it was hard to get their dead dad to even pay any alimony, but she really just wanted to get him a kitten and they love this kitten so much. And they couldn't afford the care on this kitten. And we talked about things like care credit at the time. We also talked about reaching out to friends and family and she had exhausted all those options. She didn't get approved for care credit. So that just right there tells you she didn't have any money. It's not like she was trying to hide and could have gotten approved. She attempted to get approved and she just didn't have it. She had already maxed out all her credit cards. She had exhausted all her options. And when you're faced with managing two children who you are trying to provide financially for, solely and independently so, and you're faced with the life of a kitten, you're probably gonna choose your two children's lives. And that's just the grim reality of something called life. I didn't have kids at the time. And I really thought this little orange and white tiger kitten, I'll never forget looking at this kitten, so cute, little fluff ball, but super sick. It needed a good home. So I said to my veterinarian, please, can we just offer surrender as an option? And my veterinarian said, of course, go ahead. Because we've exhausted all options, what else are we going to do? So I walked up with the surrender paperwork and I said, listen, I know this is a really hard decision and I want to do everything, absolutely everything to keep you with your pet. But... I know that you're struggling financially. If you want, completely up to you, we can go ahead and have you surrender this kitten to us and we'll find it a loving and caring home." She burst out into tears. She was actually very grateful. Thank you so much. But the girls, the two little girls, they saw a different side of this. They begged me not to take their kitten. They begged me not to please, please, please don't take their kitten. This was part of their family. Couldn't we do anything, mommy? Mommy, please don't give away our kitten. Honestly, that is still on my conscience today. I had this woman sign over her kitten. And I'm really trying hard not to tear up during this podcast because it brings back so many emotions, but it was that triggering emotion of these two little girls begging their mom to not give away their kitten. And I had this woman sign the paperwork and they said goodbye. And then she literally had to rip this kitten out of their arms because they didn't want to give it up. She passed this kitten to me and I walked out of the exam room. I don't even forgive myself for that. I look back and I hate myself for that moment. And we did the surgery. And that kitten went to a veterinary technician. And here's the reality of it. That vet tech paid almost nothing. She paid at-cost goods for that kitten. She paid just a fraction of the price, a few hundred dollars. That was it. That's all she paid. And that kitten went off and lives a normal, healthy life with somebody completely different other than those two little girls and that mom. And that was the catalyst of me thinking about surrender as an option in a very, very different light because my younger cynical self would have said that mom should have budgeted correctly. She shouldn't have even gotten the kitten. She knew she was struggling to manage feeding these girls and taking care of her own life. She just went through a divorce. Who is she to go out and get a kitten? Why would you do that? But the reality is, is that pets don't belong to rich people. The financially well-off shouldn't be the only ones who ever experienced the joy and the love of an animal. That mom and her two daughters needed the love of that kitten more than anybody else I knew in that moment. And yet we took it from them. And yes, she 100% signed it over and even thanked us as an option, as opposed to euthanizing this kitten. And she kept saying to her girls, it's going to have a wonderful home. It's going to have a great home. But I look back and think, could we have done something better? Could we have done right by that owner? Because the reality is is when you surrender an animal to a veterinary hospital, 90% of the time, the thing we don't want to talk about is that the veterinary hospital absorbs the costs of that surgery or medical care of that animal almost in full or at a huge discount. And so Most of the time, if a pet owner is met with a $5,000 bill and the pet is surrendered to the veterinary hospital, whoever quote unquote, adopts that pet from the vet clinic ends up paying little to nothing. And so you have to ask yourself, why couldn't we put the savings onto the mom and the daughters? Why did we go ahead and do that for a fraction of the cost and make the vet tech, make the veterinary nurse pay almost nothing? if nothing at all. And therein lies my moral issue with the process of surrendering. On one end, we're saving a pet's life. We're saving a kitten. But we're giving the discount to someone we feel like deserves it better. We don't feel like that mom and the daughters deserve a pet discount. No, we don't. We feel like the veterinary professional could take care of that pet better. Or we have an aunt or an uncle or a friend that surely can be able to do better by that animal. We can't possibly believe that that pet owner, just because they can't afford that animal financially, could be an amazing owner. They suck, they can't afford it. So they must be the worst pet owner in the world. Therefore, we're doing right by this animal by asking them to surrender over this animal so that we can give it away to someone else. Let's be real on this. We're not giving it away to someone else who can afford it. No, because we absorb those costs most of the time. Now, when I pose this question on my Facebook page, a few percentage of you actually did say, I paid the bill in full at the client cost. And to me, 100% that's how it should be. If you're surrendering this animal from an owner and giving it to someone else, then they better also pay that full bill, that 100% at cost fee that that client was gonna pay. If the client was gonna pay $7,000, Then the veterinary technician, nurse, front desk receptionist, the veterinarian themselves are paying $7,000. Like there should not be a discount for veterinary professionals because we didn't give one to the actual owner. We're essentially placing judgment. It's a huge moral ethical dilemma for me when we place our judgment onto a pet owner and believe essentially, I'm going to use the words here, people, because I know some of you are thinking it. We're playing God. We're essentially saying, you don't deserve this pet. I believe this person over here does. So I am gonna go ahead and offer you surrender and then give this animal to someone else and make them pay little to nothing. That shouldn't sit well with anyone. And when you look at the process of surrendering, If you're doing it right, great. I'm gonna just make a small side note here. If you are the people who are doing it great, where that veterinary professional or that aunt or that uncle or someone is paying the full bill, you are in the minority and you know you are. For everybody else, I'm hoping this becomes a little bit eye opening to you where you're like, yeah, that doesn't feel great. And I understand that at the time it might feel great because the person was argumentative. They argued back at you and said, you shouldn't charge this much money. You're money grubbing. You don't love animals. There's no way I can get approved. Who do you think you are? Who ex- who can actually afford this level of veterinary care? And because they argue back at you, you feel justified in your reaction when you take this pet as a surrender into your veterinary home because they were argumentative. They judged you. The reason why they're judging you is because they don't understand that veterinary medicine costs the same as human medicine. They're in a conundrum, they're completely distraught. We're now giving them these options of euthanasia, give up your pet or find the money. Those are the three options. I want you to put yourself on the other side. I want you to be that client, be that pet owner. How would you react if your six-month-old puppy or kitten or a year old or two years old or three-year-old or five-year-old had a fixable problem? The veterinary clinic's telling you, we can fix this. We can fix the bone. We can fix the foreign body. We can fix this disease if only you had enough money. But you broke. And so shame on you. We're sorry. We can't do anything. You've exhausted all your options. How would we feel if we were that pet owner? I bet we'd start attacking back. It's your fault I can't afford it. Your price of veterinary care is too high. You're the reason I can't afford it because you're pricing yourself out of the market. Who can even afford these prices? That's why they're attacking. They're attacking because they wanna keep their fur babies. They're attacking because basically they do wanna be able to afford it, but they can't. They wanna place the blame on anyone else because they're upset by the situation. And it doesn't matter how compassionate or empathetic that we are in those moments, they're going to attack back. That's normal human behavior. If you can blame someone else for your situation, it's easier to do so. Very few owners are going to sit back and go, You're right. I should have made better life choices. I should have saved more. Maybe I shouldn't have bought that car last year. Maybe I shouldn't have put a down payment on a house. Maybe I shouldn't have even had kids and I could have afforded this animal. Very few are going to reflect in the moment because most of the time these medical decisions need to be made quick and in the moment, just like the one in Maine. And let me just point out the obvious the only reason that most of us can afford pets is because we work for a veterinary hospital the reality is is that we get huge discounts or we pay little to nothing or completely free care for our own animals i once in my early years adopted a dog who'd been hit by a car she was a stray she was not a surrender she had a femur fracture and a pelvic fracture And the veterinary hospital repaired this dog, this little stray dog, and I ended up adopting her. She was actually my first dog that I had as an adult. She then unfortunately developed cancer at the age of five and needed radiation therapy. The only place that offered radiation therapy was a university, and the cost at that time was $3,000. I had no money. I just graduated from vet tech school. I was making $6 an hour, and I had no money to afford $3,000. That was crazy, but luckily, The veterinarian at the hospital knew a student at the vet school, so we went ahead and said that it was that student's dog. I ended up getting 50% off because it was a quote-unquote student's dog, and they got huge discounts. So veterinary people are always looking out for each other. That is the reality of our own current situation, is that we don't pay as much as pet owners. So let's just respectfully say what it is. We can afford pets because we work at a veterinary hospital and yes, we should absolutely get huge discounts because we're not making enough money. I totally am there with you on that. But for the average pet owner, they don't get these perks and we get some really nice perks in the actual financial department of our veterinary hospital. So what are we really supposed to do then if we have a pet owner who can't afford care? And so that asks the next question, are we supposed to just like give away all our medical care for free, Amy? Absolutely not, because I get that a lot. Whenever I start going down this road, people say, well, what you're basically saying is when people can't afford pet care, we just give it away to them for free. No, I'm not saying that either. And that becomes the tricky situation. I'm not saying I have the answers, but I also am saying that the art of surrendering in its current form, where again, not saying all of you, uh, most of the time when we are asking an owner to surrender a pet, we then give away those services for free. We need to reevaluate that because it doesn't sit well on my moral compass or most of yours moral compass. So what is an owner supposed to do if they can't afford veterinary care? Well, there are some nonprofit veterinary hospitals out there, and if you have one in your area, that's always an option that that owner can go to nonprofit veterinary hospital that charges less money because they work on fundraising, therefore they're able to drive their costs down. I also recognize all veterinary hospitals are at max capacity, overflowed, and trying to get any sort of emergency appointment anywhere just isn't gonna happen. So I recognize this is not a practical solution. We can also see whether or not our veterinary hospitals offer payment plans. Now, back in the 80s and 90s, almost every general practice veterinary hospital offered payment plans. Most of them have gotten away from it because the reality is people didn't pay. But I started off in a single doctor veterinary practice in a rural town in Massachusetts, and we offered payment plans. Did we get screwed a lot of times? Yes but it also helped our community. And for those people who were great customers, great pet owners, when push came to shove and they needed something done and they financially couldn't afford it, we'd put them on a payment plan. There's a lot of manual work that goes along with payment plans, but a lot of it can be digitalized now. So if this is something that you are uh, can do in your hospital, do it, but recognize you're probably not going to get hundred percent of the payment back. However, Is that better than just rehoming a bunch of animals, euthanizing a bunch of animals, or potentially having them all surrendered over to your hospital where you're not going to get paid anyway? So that's another way to look at it. Should you offer an internal emergency payment plan for people that you think would be able to pay you back? Or are you okay with them never paying you back? Look at it that way as well. You can also look at obviously a lot of third party companies, you know, things like Care Credit and various other credit cards that are available. Make sure that that person fully understands the terms of the loan because it's essentially like a loan. They're putting it on a credit card and credit cards are essentially loans. When you don't pay them back, you're paying 20, 30, 40% interest. So let's make sure we don't put this person into further debt. And then certainly just see whether or not you can set up a pet fund. I am a huge fan of veterinary hospitals, big and small, that are creating their own emergency pet funds. And I want you guys to think of setting up your own nonprofit, it's quick and easy to do, it doesn't even cost that much, where you can have your clients who can afford care actually contribute to funds. Another thing is just setting up a GoFundMe page A GoFundMe page is a great way for veterinary hospitals to kind of take out a lot of the legwork where it's a constant running. You can donate to the GoFundMe page where owners that can't afford financially, we can take funds out of that and contribute to that pet. Then there are also just crowdfunding by the owner itself. I once was involved in a dog that got hit by a snow plow. It was the dead of winter. This guy had no money. He really didn't. He was slightly argumentative, you know, blaming us for the high cost of veterinary bills, yada, yada. But you know what, in the end, I saw he really loved his dog. I caught him crying in an exam room by himself. And I walked in on him. He quickly wiped away the tears. This was a big burly guy. He didn't want me to see him crying. And I said, I can tell you really love your dog. He said, yes. And I said, okay, hold on. Let me talk to the veterinary team. We're gonna figure this out. And this is what I said to the veterinary team. What happens if he tries to crowdfund, but we also call in the news media? My vet surgeon was like, Amy, this is a crazy idea. I don't even know if it's going to work. We are in the middle of a blizzard. Dog gets hit by a snowplow. So what do we do? We reached out to a bunch of news agencies and we contacted them and said, we have a dog where the owner is struggling financially. It got hit by a car. We can save this dog's life, but the medical care is really high. We're wondering whether or not you are interested in taking hold of this story, coming in and just doing a quick op-ed piece on keeping your pets safe, keep them indoors, even though it doesn't seem like a lot of traffic on the road, there are snow plows. And, you know, you go ahead and and help to advertise for this guy. We'll pop up that there's a GoFundMe page for this guy. And let's see if we can go ahead and make this happen. We had two news agencies show up that day in a blizzard to film this dog because apparently there was nothing else going on. (laughs) But it worked like a charm. We've set up a GoFundMe page for this guy. He ended up actually obviously getting way more money than the surgery ever needed. We did have some stipulations for him and said, if we raise more money than we actually get, that's gonna go to our actual fund. The hospital had a fund already set up, but we didn't have a ton of money in it. So it was a win-win situation. This guy got his dog's leg fixed. He ended up being on the news. We added more money to our pet fund that really didn't have a lot in it and we had just started it. And so this is a win-win for everybody. So sometimes these think outside the box ideas really do help. And then certainly ask that owner, do they have friends? Do they have family? What is there someone who can help them out financially? And then I think there's also just an education piece for the general practices, for clinical practice, just let's talk about preventative care. Let's get people involved in pet insurance plans. Oh my goodness, if we had more people with pet insurance, these issues, the tragedy that occurred in Maine, we would not have to have so many people surrender over their pets because they had insurance. I feel like this is the number one thing that we're missing, especially in this country. There's a lot more countries that are doing way better than the United States on having pet insurance conversations. In fact, in some countries, over 60 to 70 percent of their pet owners have pet insurance plans. Isn't that amazing? That would be really great if we didn't even have to worry about finances because we knew the pet had insurance or likely had insurance. And then another idea, if they're not interested in pet insurance plans, just pet savings accounts. Have those conversations. Consider creating a PDF file, you know, a flyer that you can give to brand new puppies and kittens that say, here's the cost of veterinary medicine and here's how you can save for your pet. And if you're not interested in pet insurance companies and put a whole bunch of QR codes so they can tag them and easily get some ideas and rates here's a pet idea for a pet savings account and you can go ahead and create that. We need to start educating our pet owners on the cost of pet care so that we don't end up with mom and two daughters and me saying, I really think that if you surrender over your pet, that's going to be the right decision when two little girls are begging her not to. That's a terrible moral ethical dilemma right there. I worry that the art of surrendering is going to pick up even more because we obviously are on the cusp of a recession. If we don't go into a full-blown recession and perhaps we're already starting a recession, I don't really think we know, but again, it's 2022, it's June of 2022 and all of us are seeing the gas prices tick up, inflation, inflation, inflation and we are struggling to afford things because we just see the price going up on everything from toilet paper to food. Our basic necessities are skyrocketing and a recession is word on everybody's mind at this point. Unfortunately, when recessions hit, pets often go into shelters even more and people start really looking at what they can and cannot afford. I get very concerned because I have this horrible feeling that the art of surrendering is going to increase. I think that if you are offering surrendering and it's something that you want to continue to do, I think there has to be some regulations around it. It can't be a free for all in your veterinary hospital. Um, And so I feel like you need to create standard operating procedures to make sure that if we are doing surrendering, that we're doing it in the best possible way. That one, we've exhausted all options. There's nothing left on the table. Two, whoever's taking on the financial responsibility of this animal is paying the full price. If the veterinary hospital is absorbing any portion of this then that should have been given to the original owner. When we don't do the same for our owners and we give the discount to someone else, we're very judgmental. It doesn't sit right in our moral compass. Even if that person was highly argumentative, again, they're argumentative because they're trying to protect their pet. They're trying to keep their pet with them and to them, We're not helping them enough. It doesn't matter whether or not you believe that person is the worst person in the world, we need to do right by that person. If you're going to absorb the cost, make sure you give that discount to that client first. The second thing we need to consider when we are offering surrendering is coming up with a good adoption process. Unfortunately, most of the time it's the veterinarian or the front desk or the vet tech who claims mine first, who gets that animal. Really, we should put this animal up through adoption, ideally through a local organization. Consider pairing with your local rescue or your local humane society so that the paperwork is driven through them. So it's not a bias you know, completely personal decision where we took this animal and then gave it to a veterinary clinic person. Instead, no, we took this animal, we saved this animal, and then we gave it to a shelter who just happened to adopt it to the veterinary professional. I really like when veterinary clinics pair with their local humane society, and the rescue organizations. This is a great way to ethically adopt out an animal from a veterinary hospital that potentially has, you know, gotten one from a surrender, or maybe they just abandoned the animal altogether. If we're not the person doing it directly, it just feels better. If we go through a professional group who knows how to handle it, who has the appropriate paperwork that just feels better to me. Maybe I'm wrong in my thinking, but pairing with an organization is great. And I understand in some of your, your areas, your local rescue organizations, they can't handle any more animals. I get that. But most of the time what happens is the veterinary clinic contacts the rescue and says, we have someone willing to adopt. Are you willing to process the paperwork on this? Most of the time the rescue organization says, absolutely. Absolutely. To me, that feels a little bit better. If we can make sure that we've already given all the discounts we were going to give to somebody else, if we were going to absorb this cost at all, we gave it to the pet owner first. If we've done that and they still are not interested in moving forward or contributing to this animal at all. And we found a veterinary professional who's willing to adopt this animal, then sure, as long as that veterinary professional is paying the exact same bill as that client. It feels a little bit better as long as that veterinary professional ideally also goes through a rescue organization so that that rescue organization can screen that person the same as they would any other adopter. That also feels a little bit better to me. I just feel like it's less biased, and I feel like we're doing due diligence by that original pet owner who really argued with us over trying to keep their pet. And I know arguing seems counterintuitive when you wanna get something that you really want, but again, they're trying to fight to keep their pet and they don't know what else to do, so now the mudslinging occurs at the veterinary team. I'm not saying it's right, I'm just explaining the rationale within the, the frame of consciousness occurring in that moment. In the end, I would rather the veterinary clinic stay out of surrendering altogether. And I know that leaves a lot of you thinking, well, then we're euthanizing animals. I think we just need to figure out how to really help the pet owner. How do we get to keep that pet owner and that pet together? Because there's some level of trauma that occurs in both of them whenever we separate them. Even if it's a young six or seven or eight month old puppy or kitten, yeah, that animal will probably go on to live a really great life with someone else. But then the time that they need their owner the most, the person that has been with them the most, We rip them away from that familiarity, that person who they really know and connect to, and we give them to someone else. It just doesn't feel good. And so how are we supposed to deal with pet owners if we truly have exhausted all options, Amy? There's nothing left on the table. We've given them the same discount. We have gone through crowdfunding. We've asked their friends and family and their relatives, and this person unfortunately doesn't want to take on the responsibility. If they really don't want to take on the responsibility, maybe surrender or ideally we've paired with a shelter or maybe yes, we think about euthanasia and that doesn't feel good to us veterinary professionals when we went into this industry because we want to save everything. There's almost a million animals that are euthanized every single year, Amy, in this country. I get that. And now you're saying that potentially we have to euthanize this one animal that could be completely saved. No, what I'm saying is you've exhausted all the other options. Your hospital has a pet fund for owners that can't afford care. You have thought about crowdsourcing. You have thought about all the other plans that are available. You have maybe considered opening up a payment plan for this person. You've exhausted all those options, or this person has said, I don't want this animal. Then maybe, maybe surrendering is an option. But I don't think that we do enough before we offer surrender in most cases. In most cases, we shoot to surrender if the person struggles to come up financially and then we give that animal away to someone else at a fraction of the cost of what that client could pay that is the reality of surrender in most of our hospitals and i again i'm going to pause and say the bullying that occurred to the veterinary hospital in maine no absolutely not i'm sorry this is a very common practice in almost every veterinary hospital here in most countries, not even just in the United States. This is common in other hospitals in other countries. What happened to them should not have happened. But should we rethink our process? Mm, Probably. We should probably think about what we're doing, how we're doing it, reshape the way that we're doing it, or maybe not even do it at all. Maybe we just need to figure out how much money we can give away every year and just plan on giving it away. Is that so bad? I don't know. I don't have all the answers. What I know is I started this podcast before that news story broke and obviously this is still a very hot button topic. I feel very passionate about the fact that I don't want to separate pets and their owners. I want them to stay together. And what doesn't sit well is again, That practice of giving away services to someone else, but you wouldn't do it to that pet owner. That doesn't feel good. And I know that sounds very judgmental, but I've changed my mindset after that really horrific case that I had to deal with. I took that kitten away. I gave it to the veterinarian to fix. I watched it get rehomed. And I I can't forgive myself for that. I can't. And that's where I stand on my moral compass. And so right now, no matter what I do moving forward, I'm never going to, I personally will never offer that again. We're going to figure out a way. I'm calling news agencies. I am crowdfunding personally for somebody. I'm posting on my own social media network. Whatever I need to do, I'd rather do that than ever separate a pet from an owner again in the time that they need their owner the most and probably at a time when that owner needed them the most as well. Thank you so much for listening. I know this is going to spark a lot of conversation, and I welcome all of it, whether you disagree or agree or you're somewhere in the middle. And to be perfectly honest, I'm probably on the fence that not offering it ever is an option. I do recognize sometimes offering surrender on a very rare one in a million chance might be still a thing to consider, but large in part, I would say I'm against it. Thank you very much again for listening. Keep on being a unicorn. Please check out all my other vlogs, blogs, and podcasts at vetteamtraining.com.